Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Antioch in the book of Acts and how it can be a model for ministry for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to thank you for listening to our sermons. Our church runs on a fiscal year. That means that we are currently thinking about the work God has done in our church in the last year. One of the big things that we are celebrating is how many times our sermon audio has been listened to over 40,000 times. We reached the top charts in multiple countries in the category of Christianity, and people in countries all over the world listened. The most listened to sermon was one I preached in 2015 called Psalms, Hymns, and Songs. The most listened to sermon that was preached at our church this year was Water Into Wine. Perhaps even cooler is that I was able to talk to people who have been impacted by our sermons that don't even live anywhere near us. We are not a big church and it is truly amazing to know that our sermons are making a difference. Anyway, I want to say a big thank you to all of you who have taken time to listen, especially those of you that listen consistently. From those of you in Delta, Colorado, to those outside of Wichita, Kansas, to those in Los Angeles and Dallas, to those in Boardman, Oregon, to those in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and everywhere else. I love knowing that you're out there. I love knowing that the preparation I put into making a sermon is important far beyond the walls of our church. Thank you. As always, I hope that this sermon and all the others will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I get to preach on one of my favorite subjects, and that is the church. And we're going to look at the church in the book of Acts over the next several weeks. Specifically, we're going to look at a church called Antioch. And I think in some ways, they help us answer this question that maybe we've never thought about, but we all feel in some ways. And, and that question is like, what makes a good church a good church? And, and if you've been around our church for a while, you know that we're really at the heartbeat of everything we do is, is trying to be obedient to what God has commanded of our church, of the church in scripture, and then figuring out ways, you know, to do that in the modern world. But, but at the same time, like we can kind of feel a good church sometimes and, and, uh, but we maybe wouldn't be able to say, well, that seems like a good one. And that, that doesn't seem like a good one, whatever that means. And I think verifiably in this church that we're going to look at, this church in Antioch, we have a good church. And as we look at them over the next six weeks, uh, I think we're going to learn some things about how we can be a better church here at Creekside Bible Church. Uh, This church is interesting to me because It doesn't have an epistle or a letter in the Bible that's written to it. It doesn't show up in the book of Revelation. It's easy just to almost ignore it. But yet when you look through the book of Acts, you can't really find a church that was more important to early Christianity than this church in Antioch. And so we're going to look at the things that made them a good church, or as uh, somebody I know described it in a book they wrote, a transformational church. They were responsible for a lot of transformation in the, the culture that they lived in, uh, in, in the early church. Uh, in this series, you're going to hear from a bunch of people because I am going on sabbatical in the middle of it. And uh, so you're going to hear from me and uh, Matt and Chuck and Kyle and Brian, all people in our church. So I'm excited about this series in in that regard because I think you're going to hear from people in our church about how this church shows us ways that we can do church better. 
Um, but I am kicking it off today, and what we're really gonna see here is that the grace of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles led these people in this church to serve others, and that's one of the things that made them really impactful. But before we look at that, uh, I wanna tell you that between AD 60 and 70, uh, which is one of the suggested dates for the writing of the book of Acts, Antioch was a thriving city, but in the Greek empire, located in Syria, about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, and today it's part of Turkey. And I say that because I just wanna tell you that, that this church, which is a new church in the story that we'll see today, a brand new church, it wasn't like they lived at a time where, you know, being the church was so much easier than it is for us today. I think we can have these, these rosy glasses about the early church, and we can think, wow, it must have been so easy for them and so much harder for us today, and we're facing, you know, different pressures and all these things, but, but probably... The more pressure we face in America, as far as church goes, the more struggles we have, the more like the situation in the Bible was for these churches that we read about in Scripture. And Antioch is no different than that, yet yet they were a good church, they were an important church that had a huge impact on early Christianity and the movement that started with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here's, here's how it kind of starts in Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So some background information, if you backed up to Acts chapter six, there's a man named Stephen there, and Stephen was preaching about Jesus, and so the people arrested him. They accused him of speaking blasphemous words about Moses and about the temple and about God's law. But really what they were mad about, the reason that they arrested him was that he was preaching about the work of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. And so they arrest him. And then in Acts 6, 8, we read, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people and it tells us that he's arrested and his face shone like an angel and then in Acts chapter 7 he presents this great history of of the Jewish people and their relationship to God or even more specifically their relationship to the people who spoke on God's behalf uh, a theologian named Ajith Fernando said this uh, about the speech first the activity of God is not confined to the geographical land of Israel. Second, worship acceptable to God is not confined to the Jerusalem temple. Last, the insistence of the Jewish people's refusal to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah was their attitude to God's messengers from the beginning of their history. And so he gives this speech, and at the end of this speech, he very forcefully accuses them harshly accuses them of resisting the Holy Spirit, uh, killing the prophets and then killing the Messiah and disobeying God's law. And so they pick up stones and they kill him. Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. He is the first person to be killed for following Jesus, for standing up for Jesus. And then in Acts 8.1, we read, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
So this fascinating thing happens. Stephen is killed, and then persecution against the church, Christians, it's a new thing. Uh, It breaks out, and people flee from Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of Christianity at that time. It's where the church is, and they're forced to leave because persecution breaks out amongst the people. Now, you would think, right, like, wow, here's Christianity, at this point, a lot of people still think it's like a sect of, of Judaism, that it's, you know, this kind of side thing that's going on with the Jewish religion. The apostles are all trying to say, hey, this is the Jewish religion. This is where it's led to. This is what we've been following for, you know, centuries and centuries. But a lot of people in Judaism are saying, no, 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 you've completely rejected us. It's this real tense moment, and now persecution breaks out, and they're forced to flee as Christians outside of Jerusalem. And I would think, we might think, well, there there it is. That's gonna be the ending of Christianity. Now, a lot of you know the story, and so you know that it didn't end. Hopefully, all of us know that it didn't end, right? But you might think, if you're just following this story for the first time, like that, that could be the end. Brand new, you know, there's thousands, not millions of people who are subscribing to Christianity, who are following Jesus, and persecution breaks out on a mass scale, and it seems, you know, that it could just end right there. But notice what it said at the end of our verse. Some people went around, and they start spreading the word only amongst the Jews, but they're presenting the gospel to Jewish people who are in these other cities outside of Jerusalem, but that's not all. Listen to Acts 11, 20 through 21. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So here's some people traveling around and they're preaching to the Jews, but there's this other group of people who say, we're not just gonna preach to the Jews, we're gonna preach to to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, we'll preach to anybody, the Greeks, we'll preach to them. And people start to become Christians. Now this is just a side note, something I haven't thought all the way through yet, but it's interesting to me. I, I think that maybe while it causes some struggles and some difficulties for this church in Antioch, I do think that maybe the diversity in this congregation, this early church, is important to the reason that they had a big impact. But uh, but a couple of other important things happen between Acts 8 and 11, between, you know, this great persecution breaking out and then this story that we're looking at today. One is that Paul is converted. His name is Saul before that, and he's converted to Christianity. He was this man who who was fighting against the church. He hated the church, and so he was asking for permission. He asked for permission to go around and arrest people that were were Christians, that were part of the early church. And so Paul then meets Jesus on a road. He meets Jesus in a powerful and miraculous way and becomes a Christian. That's really important. And then this other thing happens that's so important, I think underrated. Peter is one of the key leaders of the early church, he has this vision from God, and the vision is meant to tell him that, that the gospel can be 
preached to Jew and Gentile alike, that Gentile people can be brought into this thing called Christianity. And it's a good thing he has the vision because immediately a, a servant of a Roman guy shows up, knocks on the door, says, hey, we, we are sent here because my, you know, my master has is, is, uh, been having some visions is, and he thinks maybe you need to come help him. And so Peter goes and he preaches to these Gentiles and they become Christians. Some people call it the Gentile Pentecost. It's like the day that Christianity moves outside of the, the walls of Judaism, really. This is really important because now, as these Christians are scattered, there is an openness to go preach to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And so they come and they share the good news about the Lord Jesus. They're preaching the gospel story. They are telling people that they are sinners and they are telling people that Jesus came to earth to die for those sins, but he did not stay dead. In fact, he rose from the dead and then showed up to a bunch of people and ascended into heaven. So they are telling this story that is still central to everything that we do as Christians and as a church today. They're telling people about the work that Jesus had done for them. I think that we need to pause there and just consider the beginnings of this church that was so transformational, that was so important to the early church. And you'll hear more about that as we move through this series, the things that they did. But I think we need to pause and just consider that the way that this church was started was simply by a group of Christians who were being persecuted, having to flee. They chose to tell other people about what Jesus had done for them and they become one of the most important, impactful churches that's ever existed on earth. I think we often think that what makes a successful church is you know, being planted by another successful church or having a huge budget or uh, nailing your marketing campaign. But this church in the middle of this persecution was started by godly people just being willing and having a desire to share the story of Jesus with other people. That's what started this really important church that really, in many ways, is responsible for changing the landscape of, of, of the spiritual ways of the culture around them. It's because Godly people chose to share about the death and resurrection of Jesus for the sins of the world. I'll say that, that I think in the last couple years, uh, something's shifted in the church and nobody knows what it's gonna look like, right? Like most churches, almost every church, in fact, has about a third of the people that they had before. And, and, and uh, COVID gave us a great influx of cash, but as I'm talking to other pastors now, that great influx of cash is no longer, you know, it's not still coming in. And so finances in churches have changed greatly. The situation for the American church, that's the only church I can really speak to, has changed greatly in the last few years. A lot less people. I think there's gonna be a lot less money. And, and so things are different. And we can look around and, and we can say, well, 
It's terrible. Maybe that's the end. And I think a lot of people are. We're looking around at the American church and saying, well, I guess it's over now. Hopefully things continue to go right in Africa and other places where, where the church is moving forward. But it seems over here. But in this story, we see a great plan for how we can move forward despite less resources, people, and money, and otherwise. We can become passionate again about sharing the story of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins with the people around us. If you want to ask me how the American church is going to move forward again, I think that, that that's it. And I think that there's this really unique opportunity in our culture today that is different than it was three years ago. Three years ago, we might be able to attract people to our churches. We could attract people to our church, that's for sure. But today, that just may not happen in the same way. But people are, I think, more desperate for the things that Jesus offers them than they knew they were a few years ago. And the question that I think hangs for the American church, for our church, is will we be willing and passionate about sharing the story of Jesus with others? That has to be the plan moving forward, is sharing the story of Jesus with others. There's this word here that I also think is important. The word is Lord, and it's subtle, but it's repeated, which uh, usually when a word is repeated in Scripture, it's it's worth paying attention to it. And, And I think that for these early Christians who were going to Antioch, sharing the gospel, and the ones who were receiving the gospel with gladness and joy and becoming Christians, they saw Jesus as not just Savior, but also Lord. And maybe we've lost some of that, too, in the American church today, that, that, that we like Jesus saving us, but, but we're not really all in on just being obedient to doing the things that he has called us to do. And this church here, they look at Jesus as their, their Lord, the one that they need to obey and follow and serve. And, and, and like so many in our churches today, I'm guilty of this. It's, you know, we're in it to serve ourselves. And here's this church looking at Jesus and saying, you're the one that we serve. You're the one that we serve. And so again, how did this church, one of the most influential in history, get its start? It's just godly people sharing the story of Jesus with others. But that's not it for today. Listen to Acts 11, 22 through 26. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So here's Barnabas. He's a leader, a great servant in the early church. His name is actually a given name, which means son of encouragement. We know that he was generous with his money, and apparently he was very encouraging and, uh, and, and was well-respected in this early church. So they're like hearing about what's going on down in Antioch, and they, they say, hey, you go down and check this out. Like, see what's happening down there. A lot of new converts, a lot of people becoming Christians, and he gets there, and when he arrives, he sees, notice this line, 
what the grace of God had done. I want to pastor a church that can say that. You know, it's so easy for me personally to fall back. I do it all the time. I've had to wrestle with this for a decade now. Uh, To fall back into being focused primarily on what is strategically advantageous for our church. And I've done that pretty well in my time as a pastor. Like, if we push these buttons and do these things, it works. And, you know, slowly you go, well, that didn't work. Let's alter that and change that and move here and do this. And we just, we build so much around proper programming. And programming is good. I'm not anti-program in the church. People that are anti-program usually just want a different program. But, like, like it's so apparent to me that we put, both in our church and I would say just the church in general, the programming ahead of what the grace of God can do in our midst. We are focused on like building the church through a good strategy, through good you know techniques that work in the business world. And here this church in Antioch, you know, when Barnabas shows up, What does he see? What does he find? He doesn't say a great leadership plan. That's not the primary thing going on. He sees what the grace of God has done in their midst. Partially, that comes from just people sharing the gospel with others, right? Like that's what's driving this church forward is that they have a heart, a desire to tell other people about Jesus. And I think part of it is that they're recognizing that they need the hand of God to move in order for good things to happen. I mean, think of this church. I mean, a bunch of scattered, persecuted Christians roll in there and they start preaching about Jesus and all of a sudden you got a bunch of people that are, you know, now a church and they have no clue what to do. I mean, there's probably some good business leaders in town or whatever, but they don't know like how to organize or structure or do anything. They're totally reliant on the grace of God. They're totally reliant on the work of God. And I am sure that drove them to their knees in prayer. And they just asked God to keep moving. And when Barnabas shows up, he finds a good church. Finds a good church because they were driven by the gospel and sharing it with others. And he finds a good church because they were desperate to have God do the work because I'm guessing they had no other good plan. Now, as I say that, could lead some to think, well, you know, Good teaching isn't important, but notice what Barnabas does. Barnabas shows up and he begins to teach and then more people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, more people become Christians and then he goes down and he gets this newly converted, on fire, weirdly passionate man named Paul and he brings him back and this is the first place really that Paul begins to preach and for a year they invest in teaching these people in Antioch. And so we see two things at the heart of this, the grace of God, both in the sharing of the gospel and their desperation for him and good, solid, apostolic preaching. These two things come together in this church in Antioch and it makes for an incredible 
church. In fact, it's such an incredible church that this is the first place where people are called Christians, where Christians are called Christians. And, and, and it's known because of other places in the Bible that this was not, this was not a compliment. Uh, this is a term that was used for people who follow Christ, people who are uh, identified by Christ, who belong to Christ, and it was not given as, you know, like a positive title. It was like, look at those idiots that just follow this person named Christ. I mean, they'll do anything that that guy says. I think what an incredible testimony, whether it was given in jest or, uh, you know, as a negative or whatever, it's such a beautiful thing to think about that people outside of this church would look at those in it and they would say, wow, they belong to, they are identified by the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Like if you want to be a great church, if we want to be a great church, then we collectively need to live our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they say, wow, there's one identifying characteristic of that group of people, and it's that they belong to Christ. They're connected to Christ. They follow Christ. They love Christ. They want to do what Christ wants them to do. They're all about that Jesus guy. 1 Peter 4.16 says this, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter's like, hey, be willing to suffer as somebody belonging to Christ. And in the book of 1 Peter, I mean, this is a book that's written when people are, you know, Christians are seen as cannibals and um, because of the Lord's Supper and the way they talked about the body and blood of Christ and uh, there seemed, uh, they think that people are uh, marrying their family because they call each other brother and sister, and so they're looked on terribly. And Peter's like, if you suffer for doing bad, you know, joke's on you, but, but if you suffer as a Christian, someone identifying and belonging to Christ, praise God that you bear his name. I mean, we're all going to suffer in this life. You'd suffer if you weren't a Christian. You're going to suffer as a Christian. That's just a part of it. But Peter says it is a great thing to suffer as a Christian. And I would look at you and me and say, let's be more in tune to representing Christ, to showing that we belong to Christ, to loving Jesus so much that people around us identify us by our connection to him. And then in verses 27 through 30, we read this. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of, the name, one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is a wild story to me. It's almost like an afterthought to the kind of passage as a whole. There's this God-given prediction by a guy named Agabus that, that there's going to be this famine. And I want you to notice that the famine is, is said to be coming over the whole Roman world, the entire Roman world. And these people in Antioch, they decide to provide 
help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. What strikes me about that is that these people live in the Roman world. And so there's this prediction of a famine that would affect them as well. And yet, as they are able, they choose to give to other people who are in need. The grace of God, the spreading of the gospel, and the apostolic teaching, they come together, and the response of the people is to serve others even even at their own expense and even when things are not perfect for them. The other thing that I would point out here is that the the non-Jewish, the Gentile churches, they this is one of the ways that they promoted fellowship with other churches in Jerusalem. The, the church in Jerusalem, excuse me, is that they would supply things for their needs. They would send money back through these leaders. And I I find that to be so profound that that they were willing to serve other churches in order to not just serve those churches, but to to show that they were unified with those other churches. And and so we see this incredible picture in this church in Antioch in that they are moved along by the grace of God and they get this very quality teaching about how they are to live and and what they ought to think about God, theology and practice and all of this stuff. And as those two things come together, the natural response for these people is to serve other Christians in a way that is unifying and helpful even though even though it's not like their lives are perfect and they do this at their own expense. And so the beginning of this story, I think, is so important to all that Antioch will become, all that they will do in the early church, I think is driven by the beginning of the story. The foundation is simple. A bunch of godly people preach the story of Jesus. And as people hear it and receive it and accept it, they are moved by the grace of God. The grace of God moves their church forward. They listen to the teaching, the teaching that's coming from Jesus, and they choose to be obedient to that teaching. And out of that, they begin to serve one another, I'm sure, but even those outside the church as they are able to serve those outside the church. And so here is what I would say to us today. I think 2,000 years later, we can get so far away from what really is at the heart and the foundation, the center of, of a church. We who are here that make up this church, we believe the same things that this church in Antioch did, that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. And we need to, again, become people who put that at the center of everything that we do as a church, and we need to be willing to share it with the people around us. We go out into our communities every day, and for the most part, we never think about telling others about Jesus. And that was unthinkable in this early church. That was unthinkable for the people who planted the church in Antioch. And then we need to seek the movement of God because we know that we are nothing apart from his grace. We can do nothing apart from the work that God does in us, nothing that has eternal value anyway. And then 
because we recognize the grace of God, we believe in the grace of God, we need to follow suit, listen to the teaching of scripture, and then serve others as we reflect and understand and believe those scriptures. We're at an interesting point in our church's history where we get to kind of choose what we get to be moving forward. And uh, one of the reasons that I am taking a sabbatical, um, some of you may not have known that, but I'm taking a sabbatical the next few months is because I see uh, both the challenges for our church, but also the opportunity that stands in front of us. And, and I just don't feel like I have the energy right now to lead us in the way that I'm excited to go together. But I think that when I come back, the thing that I'm most excited about is just getting back to the core basics of what makes a good church a good church. And that is loving Jesus because he loved us first, sharing Jesus with others, and then building our foundation on these simple teachings of scripture as we then serve other people. And so I, man, I, I hope that you'll be a part of this church, you know, long term, because I am excited about getting back to these basics and just being a church that follows in the footsteps of this great giant of a church in Antioch, a church that was moved by the grace of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles, and it led them to serve others. Let me pray that we will become that. Lord Jesus, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect church, and even this church that was in Antioch, they weren't, God, and um, yet, yet, God, they were a church that made a great impact on society, and I want our church, Lord, to make an impact on every person who's a part of it, and I want us to make an impact on the world around us, Lord, and I just don't think it'll happen unless we get back to remembering the incredible story that draws us together each and every week that you died and rose again to save us from our sins. And I don't think, God, that we'll ever have the impact that, that, that I think we wanna have, Lord, unless we are moved along by your grace over and above a great plan or a great strategy. And Lord, I don't think that we'll ever be a great church, Lord, unless we take more seriously, God, following hard after you to the point where people look at us and they say, wow, those people are just Christians. And Lord, I don't think we can be a great church unless all of that pushes us to serve one another and to serve others, God, around us because we want to respond to what you've done. But I think we can be a church that does those things and I pray that you would grow us into a church that impacts God, people, and the world because, Lord, we are so driven by your incredible gospel and because you move here in our midst and we seek a movement, Lord, of you in our midst. God, I wanna look back in 10 more years and I wanna say, wow, isn't it amazing what the grace of God has done at Creekside Bible Church? And I pray, God, you would show us the ways that we can be a part of that and we would follow hard after you in it. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.